Amen. What makes a family? Families are devoted. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13. We're going to talk today about what makes a family that doesn't quit. What makes a family that doesn't quit? Uh, in my house, we never say the D word. And that might be a different word in your house. But in my house, the D word is divorce. Uh, that's a rule that Beth and I made from the very beginning, uh, even before we got married, that we would never, ever say the D word. Uh, and there are a lot of D words you could say. But we for sure don't say the D word, divorce. Uh, and you know, in many individuals today, just in the way our society works, they know if the relationship fades, if things get tough, uh, you know, we can always call it quits. But, you know, only 100 years ago, less than 10% of marriages ended in divorce. And they didn't have washing machines, dryers, microwaves, fast food, and all of that. Life was harder, and yet still only less than 10% ended in divorce. And so we ask ourselves, uh, what's the deal with commitment today? Uh, Maybe today commitment has become a bad word. I was uh, helping our youth for several months as we searched for a youth pastor, and they were educating me on some lingo and they said that, Pastor Heath, we don't date today, or dating is not the thing, it's talking. And I was educated that talking is, you know, when we were younger, there was generations that said we're going out, we're going steady, uh, we're dating. I don't know what lingo you used when you were a kid. Uh, we had going out. That's what it was when I was, uh, you know, in, in the 90s and early 2000s, it was going out. Well, today it's talking, and I learned real quick that talking doesn't mean you can't be physical. It just means that I'm not dating. Dating is like another level of commitment, but talking is like I can kind of be talking to a couple of different people at the same time. So I was educated on that, and so I thought about this commitment thing. Even, even dating is watered down, that I don't even have to commit to dating, even in society today. So uh, commitment, <clears throat> what is it? We know that a lack of commitment, later on, people fail to meet our expectations. We just call it quits. But divorce, you know, whether it's justified or not, God knows it hurts hearts, it hurts families, it hurts children, it brings regret, it brings loneliness, isolation, unforgiveness. Uh, It even hurts our witness of His love. And for this reason, Scripture says He hates divorce. And for Him, marriage is more than this piece of paper or this legal contract. Marriage is both, both physical and spiritual. Uh, and it's, it's the same for, for you and I today in our relationship with God, with our relationship with each other, in our relationship in our marriages, in our relationship with our spouses. Our relationships are, whether we want to recognize it or not, are both physical and spiritual. Uh, one of the things that's helped Beth and I out in our marriage is obviously we put God first, but... Even when we were uh, dating, I remember coming down and visiting my family in Oak Grove, Louisiana, and we were engaged, I think, at the moment, and the pastor had a word. In the middle of service, he stopped, he called Beth and I forward, he brought us up to the front, he, he, didn't, he didn't want to put our hands together because we weren't married yet, so he put our hands kind of like back to back, like I had my hands like this, and he, he held his, her hand and my hand, and he held them together, and he prayed over us that God would fill us with the Holy Spirit. And in that moment, man, God, the rushing power of God fell on both of us, just began to feel the tangible presence of God, rebaptized in the Holy Spirit. And he said that God would use us uh, to see people uh, filled with the Holy Spirit and be in revival. Uh, and little did I know what that would all mean. And we'd go back to Missouri. We'd be engaged for a year, get married. And our marriage, we really wanted to make sure God was the center of it. So in our marriage, uh, I had two pastors. Both of them preached. 
we had multiple prayers. Beth and I even took communion together off, off the side of the, at the back of the stage. And we had multiple times where God would just have a worship experience in our marriage. And then after that, I remember one day, <clears throat> Beth and I were at uh, this uh, New Year's Eve function, and they were playing games and, and card games and board games. And all of a sudden, there was a pastor there, happened to be a pastor there. He stopped the middle of the, all the games. And he says, hey, I have to, we have to pray for, for Beth that God's going to, uh, needs to fill her with what she's called to do in her life, and and we begin. They begin to pray and lay hands on Beth in the middle of a of a board game uh, evening because. When you invite God into the center of a relationship, you know it's going to be good. And, and that's one of the things, the more I can get closer to Jesus, the better husband I'll be. The more she can get closer to Jesus, the better wife she, she'll be. Because our relationships are not just in the natural, our relationships are very much spiritual. All right? Can I get an amen? amen. And the same is true today for you in the church. From the very beginning, family has always been spiritual and we have to invite God back into our families our marriages but also into our churches God's always been the center in the very beginning he breathed life into Adam and from one he made two who were still one think about how that works from one he made two who were still one it's this mysterious physical emotional spiritual thing what God was doing and his design was that at the center of the family he would be and that the family would both be physical and spiritual. Whether you want to admit it or not, fathers, you have a spiritual relationship with your sons. Mothers, you have a spiritual relationship with your daughters. Husbands and wives, you have a spiritual relationship together. And we often have a problem thinking of our relationships outside of the natural. And that's just not the way God intended it. It is a mysterious union to be married, to be a family and to be a church family. And maybe you've never heard this before today, but I'm going to talk to you about God's design uh, for the church family. And today, just like I've introduced for the family and the marriage, most people only see their involvement in a church family as a formal membership, as a giving record, or just with their physical attendance in the room today. Uh, and in a sense, we're measuring the wrong thing. All right. So this is like describing your family to just describe your church membership with tithing, attendance and giving and, and being a part of a legal thing. Uh, that's like describing your family with your biological markers, where you live or what time you eat lunch on Saturdays. I mean, you don't describe your family that way. You describe it with how I love my son or my daughter, what we do, what we like, who we are, what we like to do, um, the memories you have together, the times you spent together, how much, how awesome it is, and you're showing people on Facebook, you know, what your kid's done this week. That's how you describe it. You don't say, well, my family is at 275 Blondie Road, blah, 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 where I live, or, or I don't say that we are a family because every day when Beth comes home, we make chicken spaghetti on Tuesdays. That's not how you describe a family, but that's so many times how people describe their church. I go to that church at that location with that pastor who believes in those things. Isn't that not true how we describe our church? Well, you don't describe it like we describe our families. Why is that? Because so much we think of church in the natural, and we don't think about it in this relational spiritual connection. Many people don't understand the spiritual connection of believers. We come, for instance, with natural assumptions about what church should be. 
Uh, church, for instance, should be about serving my needs, right? It should be, I want a pastor who feeds me. I want the best buffet of programs. I want the nicest buildings. I want greeters and door greeters and ushers who are always nice and courteous and smile and have their teeth brushed and their hair combed and deodorant and the best cologne, and they're always escorting to your seat. I mean, you just want the best of everything, and that's what America looks for, the nicest, prettiest Facebook family, Right? We want the best house, the best yard, the best. That's what we're looking for. But what happens when a church family fails to meet your expectations? What happens? You get disappointed. You get angry. You probably leave the church. You probably go to another church. You'll also disappoint you. Then you'll leave that church. Or some churches, people dig in, they get the pastor fired, or they call the church to split. Just be honest. Isn't that not what happens? When people fail to meet expectations, they begin to do that. They, they get disappointed. We have animosity towards God's people. And so what do you have today? Just like marriage in America, you have an epidemic of church divorce. And it's very prevalent in our community here, and you all know that. It's very prevalent of church divorce, church splits, church hopping. And it's because we don't view our membership as permanent. And it's, you know, and it's, let's just say this. My membership is not a letter that somebody or somebody signs. My membership to this church is because I love you and I'm committed to you, right? Uh, membership, you know, and, and God may call me from place to place, and you're, you're the same way that you might feel. God might move you. Your job might change. You might change churches, and that's okay. But my membership in my heart to those people should not. And if you leave that way, you know you left wrong. Because my membership is attached to those people. It's, not, it's a family. It's a spiritual, emotional connection that I have to my church family. And for instance, when I was in Missouri, uh, I pastored, a, a, a associate pastor, executive pastor for uh, five years, working with young adults and outreach and all that up in Missouri. And many of you know this. And, and those people there, even though I changed location and I changed church membership and I changed my job, I'm forever connected to those people. I will forever be Pastor Heath to some of them because I married them. I baptized them in water. I wept with them. I counseled them in their marriages. I went to their kids' t-ball games. I was at their birthday parties. I cried with them at the altars. I prayed hours and hours throughout the week over their lives. I gave up my life to shepherd them. And so don't think, church attendance and membership and location is what church is all about because those people are forever in my heart because we are the church amen and so families are devoted families are devoted and just like divorce is a hard issue so is division in a church great marriages are going to have problems i'm sorry they will so will great churches Great churches will have tons of problems because we're in it. Amen? And so here we are today. We're talking about families are spiritual. And I'm going to ask you the question. Do you have a spiritual connection to people in this room? Do you have a spiritual connection? Are you spiritually devoted? Do you have a relationship that goes beyond the standard natural understanding of church that is only physical but you say, my heart is devoted to these people right here. And that's why this is my church. Amen. Amen.
That's what we're all about, okay? So I'm going to tell you why and how. Why we should be this way and how we should be this way. So the first is why. Why should we be devoted? Let me give you three things real quick about Jesus and the Holy Spirit and us. Three things of why we should be this way, spiritually devoted to one another. Number one is this, because of Jesus. Why we should be spiritually devoted is because of Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, if you're there, you can follow along with me. It says this, the Apostle Paul, writing to his favorite church, he says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups, that's Jew and Gentile, into one. And he broke down the barrier of the dividing wall that was separating us from going into the Holy of Holies, okay? And by abolishing in his flesh, his body, the enmity, that is the hostility between us and God, which is the law of the commandments contained in ordinance. That's all the Old Testament laws. So that, by in, so that, that in himself he might make two groups into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both into one body to God through the cross by yet having put to death the enmity or hostility. What is he saying? He's saying that the goal of Christ is simply this, and what he did on the cross, not only did he take away the hostility between you all and God, but he took away the hostility between us together, one another. He made Every group of people, every nation, tribe, every tongue, every border wall, every flag that is flying. If you are a Christian, you are in one country. You are in one nation that is under God, indivisible, that does have liberty and justice for all. While the America may think that and try for that, there is a country on this earth that that is a reality. That's called the country of Jesus Christ. That's the church of Jesus Christ. He says he's made one body through his body he gave up his body he put sin and death and all that division upon his physical body so that you might be a spiritual body you see how he changed that he gave up his body so you could become his body that's amazing and because of jesus there should be must be unity in the church we must be a family that's spiritually devoted. It's a gift from Christ. That means this, whether you're Baptist, Pentecostal, Methodist, whether you weren't raised in church, if you like hymns or choruses or contemporary Christian or Christian rap, or if you like traditional or modern, or whether you're young or old, whether you're black or white or Hispanic, oh, I don't care what your political affiliation is. If you preach the cross and believe the cross of Jesus Christ, you are united together in one church. Amen? That's the way it should be. All that stuff is man's stuff. In here, this is God's stuff. And pre Jesus died for unity. So what does it say then if I can't be united with a brother or sister in Christ? What do you think it tells Jesus if I refuse to forgive someone across the aisle or if I refuse to sit by or go get coffee with someone of a different political affiliation, a different color, a different denomination? It, it, what is it saying to Jesus who died for the very purpose that you would be united together? What do you think it does to the heart of God when he sees all the denominations not wanting to work together or all the people who have different race not wanting to work together? All this stuff. It's got to hurt his heart. He's saying, guys, I died on the cross so you could be one. So why should we be devoted? Number one is because Jesus paid the price. Number two, 
because of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4, flip over to another chapter. Ephesians 4, 1. He says, Therefore I, a prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, showing tolerance. Everybody say tolerance. The world preaches tolerance, but this is we're supposed to live it out. Tolerance for one another in love, being diligent. Here's the verse. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the what? The Spirit in the bond of peace. Because there is only one body and one Spirit, just as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. There's only one. There's only one church, and I don't care if one denomination says they're the only way to heaven. I'm sorry, they're not. They probably haven't been around but 50 to 100 years, and there's Christians far beyond that. And there's some that will say there's only one way to get to heaven. There's only one way to be baptized. There's only one. Let me just tell you something. There's not two different baptisms. There's not two different types of Christians. There's only one type of Christian. There's only one Jesus, one spirit, one baptism. There's only one church. And, and, and everything else is man's church, in man's way, in man's doctrine, in man's religion. But he's saying there, I'm calling you to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is only one Holy Spirit. We've actually had people here tell people, well, sanctuary doesn't have the same Holy Spirit that we do. Excuse me? There's only one Holy Spirit, and you either have him or you don't. Uh, and everything else would be false doctrine. You can't tell another believer they don't have the same Holy Spirit or that they didn't get the same baptism that we've got. That's simply heresy, according to Paul's words right here. There is only one way to be baptized. That's in faith through repentance and the washing away of your sin. There's only one way to be saved. That's through repenting and believing in Jesus Christ. And there's only one way to get the Holy Spirit, and that's by being born again. That's it. There's only one way, and there's one church so again, what does it say to the Spirit when we divide over all these doctrinal issues and we divide over all these other issues because churches are more than buildings and memberships and preferences. We have a spiritual union. You and I are spiritually related. Did you know that? We're spiritually, just like I'm related to my children because of the blood DNA, I'm related to you because of spiritual DNA. Do I, view, do I view that relationship with other Christians across the world? Do I hurt with those brothers and sisters who are being persecuted because they're my DNA? Do I care for you when you're going through a trial or a circumstance or tribulation because you and I are related? We have the same spiritual DNA. We're together. We're in this together. And, and the Bible says to rejoice with those who are rejoicing and weep with those who are weeping because we're the same family. Amen. That's what it's all about. And so when I hear people hurting, even though they're not in my church anymore up in Missouri, I hurt with them, I think about them, I pray for them because I've loved them sacrificially. I've, I've bled with them spiritually. And my union with people should be beyond my common interests. Some people like the deer hunt, some don't. Some people like this sport team and some people don't. There's all kinds of things that say, you know what, I don't really have anything in common with that guy or that gal. It's hard for me to talk to them. We've got something in common. Jesus. We've got something in common. We have a future home together. Let's talk about those things if you can't find something to talk about. I don't have to have anything naturally in common with you. We're together. We're a family. We've got the same bus ticket going to heaven. 
okay? We're going to be on the same ride, on the same journey, all right? So because of the Spirit, that's why I should be devoted. Number three, because of our calling. Look what he said in that chapter 4, verse 1. I'm imploring you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you've been called. We have a job to do, church, out while we're here. We're temporarily on this earth for one purpose, that is to help Jesus seek and save the lost. That is to complete the Great Commission, then he says the end will come. And if we're all in this about my preferences and my, my interests, and I like this way of doing church, I like that way of doing church, I like this kind of carpet or that kind of carpet, or I like this kind of preaching or that kind of preaching, all that is just other stuff, you understand? There's a mission that has to be accomplished for Jesus to come back. I'm ready to go home. And that means that there are lost people dying and going to hell everywhere across this country and across this world. And that we have something that to be, to be focused on. If I'm worried about all this stuff to my right and my left, I'm not focused on what lies ahead. And if we would just all come together and say, you know what? We've got a mission to do. We've got a calling to accomplish. We've got somewhere to go and something we're supposed to be doing. We ain't got time for all this other petty stuff about preferences and likes and personality differences. We have things that we need to be forwardly looking and focused on so we don't have time for all of this other stuff. Somebody say amen. We can't complete our true calling if we're not united. Even the Corinthians wanted to divide really early on about the teachings. I want to follow Paul. I'll follow Paulos. I'm going to follow Peter. And Paul quickly rebukes him. He says, I'm challenging you to be united in the same mind with the same judgment that we are all following Christ. Why should we be devoted? Because of Jesus, because of the Spirit who unites us, and because of our calling that calls us forward. That means we've got to leave our old way of thinking and not just thinking about church in the natural. We need to renew our thoughts, Paul says, renew our attitudes, put on that new man, that nature like Jesus. That means being united with believers who are different than me, who may even offend me, because Paul says being united is a sign of spiritual maturity. That's God's calling us to grow up and not be like all the petty people in the world who are divided, but that we are united. We're, the most, we're supposed to be the most beautiful thing on the face of the earth, the place where black and whites get together and uh, Democrats and Republicans can actually work together and, and people who have different preferences and likes and likes, young and old. We're supposed to be the one nation on earth that the world is looking to that says, man, these guys got it all together. They're loving people across political and ethnic and racial and, and socioeconomic lines. These guys are, are united. Something is holding them together. And we could say, yes, let me tell you, it's Jesus. He's the one that solves world peace. Not any other president or nationality or the UN. It's, it's Jesus. And he is the reason we are devoted to one another. We're on a journey. Somebody say amen. So that's the why. Jesus, the Spirit, our calling. Here's the how. The how we should be devoted. You know, I, we can't do this by our own efforts. You can't do this through the natural man. We could try and try and try to be likable and, and give up our preference for one another, but just simply, if the Holy Spirit is not working in our hearts to make us who Jesus wants us to be, uh, it's just not going to happen. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9, Paul even gives the key for this. He says, you know, guys, to the love of the brothers and sisters in your church, uh, you don't have any need for anyone to write you. He says, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. What does that mean? 
The Holy Spirit is working in this church every single day to make you the believer you ought to be. My job and your job is to partner with him to become who he's already working and who he's already calling us to be. He wants me to be kind and nice and generous and sacrificial and forgiving. He's, that's his nature. He's in there. He's wanting to do that. The problem is when I fail to work with him, okay? And that's when we see problems in our marriages, problems in our families, problems in our churches, is because we fail to submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit who is already working within us. So he's teaching us to be devoted. He's teaching us to have brotherly love, to give preference and honor, contribute to people's needs, speak the truth in love, and do our part serving one another, getting involved in the family of God. But I have a responsibility, like Paul said in Ephesians 4, you have a responsibility to preserve the work of the Holy Spirit, meaning he's working, but church, you got to let him do it. And I got to let him do it. Are you with me? Somebody say amen. amen. We got to help him. Uh, he's doing it, but we got to like step back and say, all right, Holy Spirit, I'm, I'll be that kind. I'll turn the other cheek. I will forgive. Let me give you three things that every healthy marriage, every healthy family, and every healthy th- uh, church is built upon. Okay, you with me? Three things of how we should be devoted Three things, three principles that you need in your marriage naturally and spiritually. Things that we need in our church naturally and spiritually. And you see it on every poster, every sign here at Sanctuary. There are three words there, grace, love, and truth. Let me give you two in a different way. The first one is grace, but it's also called forgiveness. You need this in your marriage, you need this in your family, you need this in your spiritual walk with God. It's grace or forgiveness. Ephesians 4.31, Paul continues in this book. He says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving. Everybody say forgiving. Forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Every good marriage to have a healthy, successful marriage has to be built upon forgiveness. They will fail you. People will disappoint you. You will come home thinking somebody should understand me and compute with me and, and have the same emotions and empathy with me. And ladies, sometimes he's just watching TV. He's not there yet. Okay, or he's mowing the yard, his mind is on something else. And there's going to be conflict. There's going to be, we're, we don't get everything we need from other people. And that's, that's how we're made. We're not made to get everything from other people. And in fact, let me tell you something. When someone deeply wounds you, they can never pay that back. It's impossible, no matter words or time or anything. If someone wounds you deeply, forgiveness is a debt that people really don't have the ability to pay But there's a God up in heaven who paid the price for every sin and every fault and every curse and every hurt on a cross on Calvary. And if I can go to that cross, I can receive all the payment from him. And that's why it's spiritual. You can't really forgive someone I don't believe in the natural. You can to a point till they offend you again and get ready sister because time is going in reverse you're going to bring back everything that person ever did to you and you're just going to get on a journey just hold on a second we got to get it all out again that's because you only get it in the natural jesus will pay that penalty 
He can, he, that person who harms you can't do it, but Jesus can. And it's a spiritual forgiveness. It's a spiritual connection with God. And we've got to have that spiritual forgiveness in our church family. Are you with me? That's a foundational thing for a church. You've got to have forgiveness. Grace, I choose to accept you no matter who you are, who you were, or who you will be. I choose to forgive you always. Intimacy is number two, or love. Intimacy is the foundation of a healthy marriage. And the same is true for a church. If then the Lord and teacher washed your feet, Jesus says you ought to wash one another's feet. Jesus was intimate with his disciples. Dude, guys, I don't know if you've ever washed another dude's feet. I imagine it's going to be a very awkward, intimate moment. Or disgusting, whichever the issue, right? It's not something you really would ever want to do is touch another guy's feet. Uh, girls seem to be fine with giving each other manicures and pedicures and all that. But for guys, it's like, wait a minute, i got to wash some other else. Some other. What he's meaning is that he humbled himself to the position of a slave as a servant. That means to care for one another, to sacrifice for one another, to get close to one another, that sharing burdens, that we need a church that is willing to get down in, in, in the nitty-gritty and the dirt with people to weep with them, to say, hey, put your burden on me. Let me help carry the load with you. I'll submit my life. I'm going to press pause. Yeah, I'll take off work early or I'll give up what the movie I was going to go to because you need someone to talk to right now. That's what we're talking about. People who say, I'm there for you day or night. You got my number. Call me. I'll be there. Amen. Right? That, that's the kind of church you need is a loving, caring, intimately devoted church. And even on spiritual levels, that means for this instance, your church membership cannot be like some marriages, a quid pro quo thing. What does that mean? It means, well, if she does for me, then I'll do for her. If she's nice to me, then I'll be nice to her. If they do for me, then I'll do for them. That's a contract, sir or ma'am. That's not a marriage. That's like a used car dealership. Well, if you pay your payments, you get to keep your car. That's not how marriage works. It is selfless, sacrificial. No matter how they do to me, I choose to love them till death do us part. That's the same with a church. I choose sacrificially that to sacrifice for them. The Bible says in 1 Peter to fervently love one another from the heart. It means serving one another, uh, Peter says, as a good steward of God's grace, that he's abundantly lavished grace on you, so now you give it to other people. He even says it in Ephesians. He says, you know what your time together should be like? Your church family should be, it says, you should be singing and making melody in your heart, singing spiritual songs and hymns and to one another, and that you would be joyful singing and making melody. And he says, you're united in the Spirit. So what does that mean? When you come together and worship, it's not just singing audible, natural, physical songs. That's how man will view it. But when I worship with you, when I pray with you, I'm actually bound closer to you. How many saints of God know this is true? When I've prayed with people, I've fasted, interceded with people, I have a, there's a connection there. My brothers I pray with and my small group, I pray with them for their needs, for their family, for their marriages. You're, you're connected on a different level. And if you've never invested in a church to that degree, you're totally missing out. Because church is not just supposed to be, hey, I come to a bunch of people, I show up, I pay my dues, I go home, yada, yada. No, I'm, I'm deeply invested in your life because I love you on a physical, emotional, and spiritual level. And lastly is this, communication. 
Every marriage is based on communication. You know, 86% of divorced couples say it was deficient communication that led to their split. And every person in here, you all handle conflict differently. Some of you will avoid it. Some of you will ignore it. Put your head in the sand. Some of you will hide from it. Some will immediately retaliate to it. Some will rationalize it away. There are some people in here who hate emotion. There are some people in here who live for it. We're all wired differently. It's okay. I accept you in grace. I love you sacrificially. But I'm also going to honestly speak the truth to you. I have to do that as a person who's committed to you. Uh, Ephesians 4, 25, he goes on. He says, you know what? Lay aside falsehood. Speak the truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are all members of one another. Be angry. Don't sin. Don't even let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give the devil an opportunity. That means if we refuse to speak truth to one another about our hurts, or if we see someone going astray, or if there's a lapse in judgment, or if there's anything going on that's tense between us, you refuse to speak it, you just gave the devil an opportunity to divide your church, to divide your spouse from you, divide your family from you. And I owe you this, to speak the truth to you in love. I have to. It's to protect the unity of our relationship. To say, hey man, I've noticed you've been missing a lot lately, and I've noticed some weird Facebook posts that really aren't glorifying God. Man, what's going on? I love you. Help, help me talk to you. Let me, let me pull you back in. Or if I'm sli- uh, slipping, you need to call me and encourage me to come back, speaking the truth in love. Or, hey, you know, Miss Georgia, you, you deeply offended me the other day. You didn't even know it, but I have to tell you this so as not to give the devil a foothold in my heart. She'd go on with life, and no one even know it, and I'd be like, how do you, can you believe it? She don't even know she offended me. And, how, da, 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 da. and then I just began mulling that over, mulling over, and I've never spoken the truth to her. And there can never be amends. We get offended all kinds of people we never told they offended us. And that's where we go on and say, I have to protect the unity of this spiritual relationship because the devil loves nothing more than to get in and divide a church to get in to break up a marriage, to get in to break up a family, because he knows it's not just physical, it's a spiritual thing. And so wherever you are at in your marriage or your life or your family or your church involvement, you have a spiritual union with people in this. Look across the room. Aren't they pretty? Don't these beautiful, wonderful people in this room? Right? Grace, love, and truth. So I'm going to challenge you as the worship team and our ushers come for communion. This week, how can you apply this message? They recognize that my membership in this body is a spiritual devotion. How can you this week be more devoted to people in this, in this congregation into your small group? Maybe it's getting involved in a small group or ministry for the first time. Maybe it's taking your ideas of your commitment to a different level. Or maybe it's things in our hearts that we're saying, guys, I've got to get something right in here. Maybe there's some unforgiveness I've got to get out. Or maybe there's some truth I need to tell or some grace I need to give. But where are you? I'm going to ask you just to stand with me all across this room.